uh, just as we look at some of the ministry life of Jesus over these next few weeks. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I, we could spend the next 20 years doing a series called A Portrait of Christ, just so much of what we could look at. Uh, and, and this series, it's all about Jesus and who he was, that he was fully God and fully man. And actually, he invites us into a new way to be human that he invites us into a new experience, a new way of living that really is completely different and completely upside down to that which we thought we had to do. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke 19. Luke chapter 19. It's in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you need the contents page, use it. If you've got a device, then switch it on. Um, The Bible now comes in print as well as electronic device. Uh, So flick that on and swipe and do whatever you need to do. just want to check, are we reading the message? Fantastic, just checking that. Great stuff. Um, so Luke 19, we've got this amazing story of a guy called Zacchaeus. And uh, Jesus uh, encounters this man called Zacchaeus. Uh, and so remember that as uh, we look at this series uh, entitled The Portrait of Jesus, A Friend of Sinners. So 19 says that he, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up on into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass away. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him, received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my good I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet. But Lord, it's not just a set of moral principles. It's not just... um, a good way of living, but it's about a relationship, about an encounter with God and humanity and how passionate you are for us. And so we just ask right now that you would just come and meet each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall I change microphones to one that's more reliable and cabled? Is it, is it cutting out or is it me? It's cutting out. It's doing something a bit weird, isn't it? So let's just start over here. Well, I ask you the question this. Purple. There we go. That should be fine. I've not done it with a cable for a while. I'm going to go flying. Uh, Let me ask you this question. Has anyone ever dropped in on your life unannounced? Good. Uh, We have this very regularly. Cara's parents are like the epitome of politeness. They They would never possibly just turn up unannounced. They would ring three months before and just say, this date, we're thinking at this moment of dropping by, is it possible that we could, by any chance, we're really sorry to invade your life, but is it in is it any way possible? I'm like, of course you can, just come round. Whereas my parents, they're like, ding dong, hello. We thought we'd come round and just, and we're like, oh, okay. And when, you're new, when we were newly married, well, it was a bit of an inconvenience because you're newly married and, you know, it took us a bit of a while to get to the door and, uh, we'll leave that there. Um, but it got really annoying because it's like we just wanted to be newlyweds. <laughs> oh, good times. Um, but now we're 11 years married. We're like, yeah, just come on in. It's no problem. Um, but <laughs> but uh, we're kind of house proud. And, and, and 
often a house is kind of chaos. Um, and the, uh, people will knock on the door and, and we kind of ferry them through the house straight into the garden, even if it's thunder and lightning. We're like, yeah, just get through to the garden. And I'm like, Cara, just talk. like we've we got like bowls of Weetabix we're just shoving under the sofa, kicking things into cupboards. And Cara walks out pristine with like a pinny on going, hi, I've been baking. Um, <laughs> like, you never bake. Why, why were you? But, uh, and, and we're just trying to get everything in order and everything sorted. It's funny, isn't it, how we do that, that we try and present something to people, that we pretend I wonder how many of us do that, that we just pretend that life is like this magazine cover uh, and we, we don't want anybody to see the reality of what our life is actually like. I wonder what's going on under the surface that makes us live like that, that we hide our everyday image in, 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 uh, in trading for something that's false, something that, that isn't reality. I wonder if it's fear of being exposed, that if they find out what I'm really like, or we want to project something that gives some kind of appearance. I wonder what's going on under the surface, the, the proverbial mess that we try and hide. It's funny, isn't it? We do the same with God, don't we? We hide the mess under the sofa in some vain attempt that God will go, wow, look at you, my child. You really are spiritual. I'm going to have to save you. I wonder why we do that. But it's crazy, isn't it? We hide all of our stuff out of sight. There's some people that wouldn't have come to church this morning because you go, why don't you come to church? And they're like, me? <laughs> no, no, I don't think you understand just how bad my life is. Maybe when I've got this and this and this sorted, then I'll come to church and then everything will be okay. But it's the way society works, isn't it? And, and we're just the same in the church. That we, we have this, this aspired level that we've got to live at, this aspired way of doing life. And we seek to live at a, a level that is acceptable to everybody else and acceptable to society, acceptable to the kind of clique and group and class that we want to be part of. And what's fascinating is that Jesus comes and he completely frustrates this. He completely flips it on its head. The way we do humanity, he completely disorientates it. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about the upside down kingdom. Well, here Jesus comes and he flips everything on its head. It goes against everything we, we experience of what it means to be human. And that's why we've called this series A Portrait of Christ, A New Way to Be Human, because of this invitation to live differently. And that's what drove the people of Jesus' day. And I wonder even today, it drives them mad. Drives people mad because Jesus is offering a completely different way of living. And we see it in Luke 19 as Jesus is passing through this town called Jericho, a wealthy town. It was, a, it was a high-class town because it was one of the main trade routes from Jerusalem. Going out of Jerusalem was this place called Jericho. And Jesus is walking through. And word is spreading that this, this guy called Jesus, who's claiming to be a Messiah. Now, you need to understand there were a lot of people at the time of Jesus claiming to be Messiah. There was like a Messiah complex. Uh, and so uh, loads of people were claiming to be this Messiah that was going to usher in this perfect age, of a messianic age for the Jewish people. And, and so all these people are gathering around, wow, this man, Jesus, he's, he's healed people in He's forgiving sins, and maybe this is the true Messiah. And so the crowds have gathered, and within this crowd, there's this wee little man. Can't help but want to sing a song from Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a very little man. If you didn't grow up in church, don't worry. It's a, it's a cracker. It got to number one and everything. Um, but there's this little man, and I love scripture because it says he was small of stature. Now, I can, I, I'm, I'm small of stature, so I feel like I can say he was a short ass. You know, he's... he's his, I can say it because I am. His, you know, there was, his knuckles dragged along the ground because his legs were too short. That's just the reality of those of us that are only five foot seven and three quarters, um, pushing on five foot eight. But he was a wee little man, little Zaki. 
Uh, and he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. The crowd had gathered and he couldn't see him. So he is so desperate to get a glimpse of Jesus. But something else happens that day. Not only is he desperate to get a glimpse of Jesus, but Jesus wants to get a glimpse of him. And so Jesus walks over to this tree that Zacchaeus has shot up to try and see Jesus. And he walks over. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in this moment? Well, it's really important for you to understand just who Zacchaeus is. Zacchaeus is, the scriptures tell us that he's a, a, a chief tax collector. Not a term that was particularly, uh, historians aren't too sure what that term actually means. It wasn't a common term used. Tax collector was. And tax collectors were the very people that the Jews hated because they were their own people who had turned against them to work for Rome. And so the tax collectors were Jewish individuals who worked for Rome. And Rome said, you need to go and collect 50 shekels from every single person, whatever the amount was. And so they would go to the people and they would go, hmm, I can do a little trick here. Rome wants 50 shekels. If I tell everybody they owe 75, I get to keep 25 shekels. That was quick maths. My brain had to work then. So they would go to the people and say, you owe Rome 75 shekels. And they'd pocket 25 and then give Rome what was owed. And here we've got Zacchaeus, and he is a chief tax collector. I think it's probably safe to assume that he was probably the director of that area, of all the tax collectors in that area. He was the chief. He was the one in charge. He had people working for him. So not only was he employing people that were exhorting people, but he then put his amount in and all of that. So he was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy man at the expense of his fellow Jews. And little Zacchaeus, he was not liked because of it. They say he was not liked, and it's really clear because the scripture tells us, I think it's verse 7, as Jesus speaks to Zacchaeus, he says, come down, I'm coming to your house for a little bit of a gathering. The crowd started to grumble. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. In other words, hang on, Jesus, you just arrived on the scene, and you're like interrupting our whole, whole social system. You're flipping everything of what we mean to be human. You flipped it on its head. Because we've got our tribes, we've got our classes, uh, and, and never the twain shall meet. You, those people, sinners, they're over there. We want nothing to do with them, and we're the righteous spiritual people. We've got our lives in order, and we're over here. But you seem to be wanting to go to his house for supper. It's the human condition, and we all play along. Why is it that so many people post pictures on social media in the back of their mind is, I wonder what people will think of me when I post this. I wonder, I wonder if I make this comment, this group of people, will, it, will, will they accept me or will they reject me? The kind of clothes I wear. I remember growing up as a teenager. Boy, did you have to wear the right kind of clothes to be in the right kind of group. And I was a skater dude. So it's baggy jeans and backwards cap and listening to Michael Jackson on my Walkman. <laughs> that dates me. <laughs> but you had to wear the right clothes to fit in with the right group. And Jesus comes, fully God, the embodiment of God, the identity of deity, as David started this whole series off. That he is the, the visible uh, representation of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, what he sounds like, then look at Jesus, study Jesus, get to know Jesus because you'll see God. But he was also fully man, revealing to us and defining what it means to be human. And in, G in, in this moment, Jesus is not bound by the opinion of others or the social structures of our world, he steps over them to reach someone who is desperate, so desperate they've climbed up a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. Wow, does this transform how we live. How those of us in this room that follow Jesus, that have surrendered to Jesus, we get to live completely differently, a new way to be human because of what we see in these verses. 
that this crowd has gathered around Jesus. And they have determined that Zacchaeus, he doesn't belong because he was a sinner. There's no way he can be accepted by God because we don't accept him. And if man doesn't accept him, then there's no way a holy God can accept him. And so Zacchaeus is rejected. But God's love, it never fits into the nice, neat little boxes that we like to define things by. And so God's love, which is defined by himself, God's love is not defined by your experience or your expectation. God's love is defined by who God is. And it steps over those boundaries of those social systems, those classes, those little boxes that we like to put people in. A a sinner, not sure they fit. Oh, I don't like them too much. They're a little bit annoying. It steps out over all of those. In fact, Paul, the apostle, he writes into this. Paul, the apostle, he's one of the major writers of the New Testament. 13 books, possibly 14. I want to argue 13, but we can have that debate later. Uh, 13 or 14, wherever you sit. Books of the New Testament. 27 books of the New Testament. Paul writes a massive percentage of them. And he says this in one of his letters, Romans verse 5, chapter 6. He says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's great. For someone would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying Jesus has come and he's flipped our whole social system on its head. He has reorientated what it means to be human. Because he's saying, you know, for someone that's really, really good, really righteous, well, they're righteous, they don't need anybody, maybe, you know, well... That's great. But maybe a good person, maybe, maybe someone that's cured cancer. Yeah, I'll die for them. If, if, if me dying meant that more people could live, yeah, okay, we'd, we'd go for that. Maybe for our children. If you've got children, you know, they should always outlive us. I'll die in, in place of my children, even when, even when they're not that good. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that because that's, that, that's right, the right thing to do. But Jesus here, he redefines it because he says, I'm going to die for you even when there's no guarantee of reciprocation, when there's no assurance that anyone is going to accept the love that is on offer, I'm going to die for you. And who did he die for? The best behaved? The ones that have achieved something in this life? No, no, no. It says that he, he died for the sinners. And before you think that means everybody that's not in church this morning, it means every single one of us. Those of us that are in this building and those of us that are outside of this building. If you want to understand who God is, then Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 is a great place to start. If you want to understand what it means to be human, Romans 5, verse 6, 7, and 8 is a great place to start. Because in these verses, we see that God has poured out for all of us. Whether you love him, whether you accept him or reject him, he has still died for your sins. He died for all sin. In that moment, as Jesus is dying on the cross, all sin is converged in one moment, and he dies with it. And he says it is dead. Died for all sin. God's love is on offer for everyone, even those that might reject it. Can you imagine what could happen if a church started to live like that? Can you imagine what could happen to a town if we started to love like that? To live like that and look like that. Love people even though we might be misunderstood. Love people even though it might be rejected. Let me clarify something. It's uh, the effect of what Jesus has done for sin is all based then on our decision of whether we accept it or reject it. But it doesn't stop the fact that he did it. 
whether you decide to follow him or not. It's like if you're walking down a street and you decide to go into a shop and you apply for a job in a shop. You walk into that shop and that shop owner, he suddenly becomes your boss if you get the job. But it didn't stop him being the boss of that shop even if you go, nah, I don't think I'll have that job, thanks very much. He's still the boss of the shop. Still the same with Jesus, that he died for all sin. Whether you accept it or reject it, that fact still remains. But it has every single thing to do with us when we accept it or reject it. And Jesus says that I've got love for you even when it's completely ignored. But God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I wonder what, we, what our town would look like if we started to live like that. But I'm going to put a warning in place. Because I want to dare us to live like that as a church. To be a, a friend of sinners. To actually not just point out the sin in people's lives. To not be known as the ones that go, that's wrong in your life, that's wrong in your life. And as for that, <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that because you shouldn't have done that. But actually we say, hey, why don't you come around for some food? But I want to warn you that what happens then is God starts to disrupt your regular scheduled programming. If we step into this way of living, then actually what happens is all the stuff where we've got God in a nice neat little box, he starts to disrupt it. All of the black and white, there's suddenly shades of grey. And all the words we've got to describe God of, oh, he's awesome. That meeting was incredible. Isn't God phenomenal? Suddenly the words that we use to describe God are like, what? Um, ah, Because we don't get it anymore. Because we can't understand it. Because God's love is not defined by our experience and our expectation. It's defined by who God is. And Jesus walks past the crowd. Oh, church, I pray we never become a crowd. Jesus walks through the crowd to get to the one who, who wants to get a glimpse of him. The one who's up a tree, rejected by society. The one the crowds call a sinner. And instead of pointing the finger, well, who are you? The crowds, they call you a sinner. Are you a sinner? Are, are you, you tell me what you've done because I need to know whether you're a sinner or not. So easy to point the finger at all those ones we disagree with. We find grace for ourselves, don't we? But we want justice for everybody else. Oh, God of grace, thank you that you accept me and love me. But as for them, good grief, what are they doing? But this isn't about right or wrong. This isn't about moral or immoral. This is about a relationship. And Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home because he's a friend of sinners. Possibly the most intimate thing he could, he could ever have done in that moment. For to invite yourself into someone's home, to gather around the table, to eat with them. It's the most intimate thing. And I, I think it's safe to assume that, that Jesus is in Zacchaeus' home. When he says that he received him joyfully, I think he's receiving into his home. There's a transition that happens as he climbs down that tree. And they, and they get into Zacchaeus' home. Jesus is being invited into the mess, invited into the chaos, invited into Zacchaeus' life. I wonder if Zacky, little Zacky was crazy enough to try and run on ahead and sort out all the mess. Hide the wads of cash under the sofa. I mean, he was a wealthy man, so the decor of his house would have been one that was very clear to understand, you are a wealthy man. So did he run on and try and, try and sort it all out so he didn't quite look as wealthy? A stack of cash that he was going to spend on himself? For some in this room, you need to know this. God already knows. God already knows. And a lot of preachers will use that as a threat. Come to Jesus because he knows anyway. Turn or burn. 
God already knows what you thought the other day. He already knows what you watched a few weeks ago. He already knows what you did, what you shouldn't have done. He already knows. But can I tell you this? He accepts you in spite of it. He loves you in the midst of it. He stood beneath that tree and he called Zacchaeus down, even though he knew exactly who Zacchaeus was. That tree that Zacchaeus had climbed up in an attempt in and of himself to see Jesus. An attempt to get a glimpse of Jesus. That tree that compensates for the weaknesses in our life. That tree that makes us look impressive. That tree that if you can just climb up high enough, everyone's going to look and go, wow, Zachy, you're only like three foot nothing. And look, you're six foot up the tree. You're twice your own height. Aren't you impressive? And Jesus comes along and goes, I'm really impressed. I never thought you'd be able to get up to that branch. Well, I'm going to save you because of just how impressive you are climbing up that tree. It's funny, isn't it? You've read how many chapters of the Bible this week? Wow. It's impressive. Not only that, you read them, but you understood them. I know you understood them because every conversation this last two weeks, you brought up all those verses and every prayer that you prayed, you managed to weave those verses in and exp- exposit them in front of everybody. Well done. God's impressed that you can both read the Bible and understand it. Oh, shake your hand. You're going to get a real nice place in heaven. You, you've done what? You spent how long in prayer every morning? Wow. You're really spiritual. I'm really, I'm really impressed. I'm not knocking Bible study and prayer, by the way. I'm your pastor. Read and pray. Just putting that out there for the record. Please do. If you want to encounter Jesus, read his word. If you're struggling to hear his voice, it's here. Read it. Take all of your prayers to him. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we think that there's a dedicated few climbers. They're the ones that are going to be recognized and honored. I loved it when, I can't remember who it was. Was it Maureen, I think, said, um, uh, Eddie, maybe this morning, you said, you know, sometimes when John says stuff in church, he's just stepping out. Not sometimes, every time. I'm going, I don't know, God, if this is what you're saying, but hey, I better step out and do something because I'm called the pastor. We're all the same. This bit here does not make me higher up the tree because I've climbed further up and I'm more spiritual. And God's going, John, your life is so impressive. You better be a pastor. I actually think God's going, I need to punish you. Become a pastor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, but we think if we can just climb up the tree. And when we gather together, we, we accentuate this myth, don't we? We're like, just climb up higher, climb up faster, and then God will bless you. If you feel good, God's blessing you. If you feel rubbish, then it's God's punishing you. But if you feel rubbish, you just need to climb higher. But my life's a mess. Just climb higher. Look, the kids are chaos. Just get up there faster. I mean, this is my life. You put in your bit. <laughs> but we just think we just need to climb up that tree faster and faster and faster because the quicker we can get up, the more we'll experience God's blessing and life will be easier and God will be more pleased with us. And we think myths like being able to, to understand more of Scripture, it's, it's so important that we understand it. But hear his words of love over you. Hear what he's speaking into your life because I want to say that I hope the words of Jesus in this passage that they ring true in this community for years to come, which is Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Oh, that we would be a church that constantly remind each other. See, it's our DNA to discover God. That is first and foremost that we discover just who God is and then we're going to nurture each other to live, love and look like Jesus. That actually we would discover God to such a degree that we would nurture each other to say, come down the tree. Come down and get closer to Jesus. 
We don't need to be fearful anymore. Jesus isn't looking up at Zacchaeus as the quickest way to expose his sin, to expose the hang-ups or the hiccups. He wants to remind us that he's already dealt with it. Hurry up and climb down. All the climbing up the tree is doing is testing your ability to do it on your own, and it makes Jesus really, really small and really, really far away. And the world does not need a load of Christians that are sat up in the trees. Like Swiss Family Robinson, miles away from everybody else, looking down. Oh, you dirty sinners. We're up here. We've got it sorted. We're closer to heaven than the rest of you. The world does not need that. But sadly, the world has that perception of us, doesn't it? The elitists, the spiritual, the morally superior, those that want to point out the sin in everybody's life. We're not known as inviting everyone and anyone into our homes or eating with those that make, whose lives make less sense than ours. Maybe church, we need to be reminded it's not pointing out people's sin that draws them to God, but it's pointing them to Jesus. It's fascinating here, isn't it? But in verse 7, the crowds have grumbled about the state of Zacchaeus' life. He's a sinner. I wonder for how many years he's heard that. You sinner. You extorter. I mean, in, in modern vernacular, it's like you're a dog. You're a beast. You, we want nothing to do with you. Just go away. I wonder how many years he spent hearing that spoken over his life. But in this moment, it says, and Jesus came to the place. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Just think about that for a moment. All the crowds are watching this moment. And Zacchaeus scurries down a tree quicker than a squirrel. Which let me tell you, they can scurry up trees pretty quick. Just to claim how high up the tree, we saved a squirrel recently. It was drowning in one of our water butts. We, we went down to the bottom of the garden and there was this, it might have been there all night. It was scurry, it was like drowning. So we put a nice little plank of wood in there and it scurried up and we put it down and we got some nuts for it and cared for it and they're vicious little things. Um, <laughs> but then when it had dried out, it, it flew. It just went. When it, when it dried out and got its energy back, it went. I wonder if Zach is, is like, he comes down that tree so quickly. He receives him joyfully. I think it's safe to assume that he's receiving into him his home at that point. And he's saying, oh, I'm, but can you imagine what the crowd are like? Hang on a minute. What's all this laughter about? Do you know who he is? You, you're going where? You're going to his home. Do you know how he paid for that home? That was my hard-earned cash. That was my granny's retirement. It's paid for his nice decor in there. And there's no explanation from Jesus. He's not like, guys, just don't worry. I'm Jesus. I'm going to transform his life, and he's going to start behaving well, and he's going to give you back a load of cash. So that would have been really helpful, wouldn't it? But no, Zacchaeus and Jesus are arm in arm. Zacchaeus is little, by the way. They're arm in arm going off to his house. No explanation. But something happens between verse 6 and verse 8. And it's not the verse 7 in the middle where the people grumble about his sin. There is a moment when Zacchaeus encounters Jesus. And then there's a moment in verse 8 when it says this transformed life. And it says in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of the goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he is the son of Abraham. Something happens between verses 6 and verse 8. And it's not that Zacchaeus becomes more aware of his sin. I think he probably knew. Yeah, I know my life is a mess. But he has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus does something in one moment that the whole of the Old Testament law could never do. See, the Old Testament law just exposed our sin. 
made us aware of our sin. Yeah, it dealt with it once a year, but what happens if at midnight that sacrifice is made and then one minute past midnight you do something really, really stupid? I've got to wait another whole year for that sin to be atoned for. All it does is expose our sin. But Jesus comes in one moment and he says, the crowd are calling you a sinner, but I am going to get so intimately close to you that it will transform your life. The only way this town can be transformed, the only way that our lives are transformed is not just by knowing our sin, not by pointing it out in the world. Because quite frankly, I think the world probably already know that life's a bit of a mess. You speak to anybody and they're like, if you ask them the question, is your life getting better or is it getting worse? They're like, I've got to be honest, it ain't getting better. There's no way we can do self-help. The world knows that. So it's not pointing out the error, it's inviting them to see Jesus and revealing the person of Jesus. And in that moment, Zacchaeus' life is transformed and he's invited in to a new way to be human. That Jesus, he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. David talks about the Mount of Transfiguration. You've got Elijah and you've got Moses, you've got the law and the prophets. And Jesus stood saying, I sum all of this up. The law and the prophets. It's me, guys battling around trying to shove your your cornflake of a mess under the sofa. It's me that sums it up. It's me that defines it all. And it transforms Zacchaeus' life and it's transformed the lives of so many people around this world and even in this room. So guys, I'm going to miss a load of stuff out and come into a land. Do you know that Zacchaeus, in that moment, he responds and he says, I'm going to give back fourfold everything that I've ever defrauded. Do you know what? Levitical law, I think it's Leviticus 6, that book that we all love to read. I'm sure you've got it memorized. Leviticus 6. There's Levitical law that talks about if anyone has defrauded anybody of anything, if they've extorted anyone or stole anything, they're to pay back 100% plus one-fifth. One-fifth, that's 20, 20%, isn't it? So 120% is what the law required of Zacchaeus. But in this moment, we see that Zacchaeus doesn't do what the law requires of him. He's not just doing enough. He repays 400% of that which he has taken. He eclipses the law by over whatever percentage that is. I should have written that down. 120%. No, that's 380%. Whatever it is. He eclipses the law by that percentage. He should have paid 280. Thank you. Somebody who knows maths. I got a D in maths. <laughs> but then I was dyslexic, so maybe I got a better grade. I don't know. Um, so he, but he eclipses the law by 280%. 120 is what's required. 400. You see, he wasn't motivated by, love, by the law anymore. He was motivated by love. See, when we're motivated by the law, we leave this place and we go, oh, I better go and be nice to the grannies crossing the road. I better go and give some money to the poor. I better, that homeless person that I walk past, oh, well, guilt tells me I better go. Well, I'm not meant to give them money because they might go and buy drugs. So I'll go and get them a coffee because that's the good, right thing to do. But when we're motivated by love, we say, hey, why don't you, why don't you come into McDonald's and we'll sit and talk for a while? What, no, one, no one's spoken to me for weeks. Oh, well, maybe I'm just going to waste some time on you right now. Maybe I'll, I'll go above what's required of me going to offer the other cheek when someone slaps the one. Well, that's what's required. Well, actually, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to grab you by the hand and I'm going to walk with you in life for a little while because I'm going to go way beyond what the law requires. I am being now compelled by love. 
See, we're motivated by a love that whilst we're still sinners, while we were still an offense to God, while we were still covered in the crud of life, Jesus died for us and he gave it all. You know the name Zacchaeus? Do you know what it means? In Hebrew, it means innocent. I don't think Zacchaeus probably ever lived in that name. He never knew. Oh, the crowds call me a sinner. But when Jesus came, he said, I declare you innocent. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done. And he speaks that over you. And that redefines and transforms how we get to live. That the guilt and the shame is no longer compelling us to have to do, but we are now compelled by love when we get to do. And it transforms who we are. For in that moment, all the sin, past, present, and future, it's dealt with. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in the moment we accept him, no longer do we live under the voice of the crowds. No longer we are part of the crowd condemning. No longer we do we live being told we're a sinner. We get to live innocent, completely transformed. Zacchaeus was always called innocent, but it wasn't until he encountered Jesus that he experienced being innocent. So let's close our eyes. Jesus invites us into a completely new way of living. And he calls us what God has always intended to call us. From birth, Zacchaeus, innocent. Yeah, your life might have led you into so many different dark places. But Jesus can come in and say, do you know what? You're a child of God. You're innocent. And if he says that over us, how much more? Those of us that have accepted it, do we need to declare that over others and call the innocence out of people? See the God working nature in them and call it out. Maybe this morning, maybe you need to come down from the tree. Maybe you need to climb down. I'm trying to climb up higher, quicker to impress God. You need to climb down. And invite Jesus in. Maybe you need to stop listening to the crowds that call you a sinner. And you need to listen to Jesus. Hurry up and come down, Zacchaeus. Come down, innocent. Come down, the one that's been condemned as a sinner. Because I want to be with you. Maybe the challenge this morning is this. You need to step out of the crowd. Maybe you're more known for what you're against than what you're for. Oh, as a church, we need to stop telling the world and blaming the world for being how dark it is. Instead, start saying, I need to shine a little bit brighter. Maybe that's a challenge. Maybe you need to allow Jesus into your home, into the mess, into the chaos. Instead of trying to make it all look like it makes sense. It's God in this moment. I ask you, Holy Spirit, will you start to do what only you can do, which is just minister to each one of us right where we're at. That through this morning, through our worship, you were speaking and you were stirring. Through testimonies, you were speaking and you were stirring. As we gather around your word, you're speaking and you're stirring. So I ask right now that the words of my message, they will be forgotten. But the moving of your spirit upon someone's life can transform us from this day forward and forevermore.
So Holy Spirit, will you just start to do a work? For some of you, it's that you've been called something, of you've labeled yourself something for years. And maybe you are the crowd of your own life. And you've labeled yourself something because of this or because of that. Therefore, I am this. Lord, I pray that their voice of condemnation upon themselves would decrease and the voice of your spirit that declares they are a child of God, that they are innocent because of what they've accepted that Jesus has done, that would become louder and the volume of that would increase. For those that have written yourself off because life's a bit of a mess. that we wouldn't feel the need to to sort the mess before we bring it to you. But actually we'd be a people that don't, don't gauge our time with you spent on minutes. But there's not enough minutes. God, this in my heart and I need to bring it to you. That thought then, that attitude, I need to bring it to you. Because God, you never call us to be sinless, but you do declare that we should be blameless. And when we, when we reveal to you everything that we've got going on in our lives, there's no blame there. There's no way that God can say, well, how about this in your life, John? No, you know about that. I'm blameless because you know about it. You can't hold that against me because you know about it. So we just open our lives up to you. As we step into this new way to be human. lost but he brought me in oh his love for me oh his love for me the sun sets free oh it's free in me I'm a child of 